everyone, and welcome back into Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a fantastic show for you, a great new festival, and some familiar faces, or I guess in this case, voices, joining us today. Today we have returning the playwright Doug DeVita, as well as the playwright and performer Christine Stoddard, and we welcome to the show playwright Bear Kosick. They're joining us today to speak to us about the Queen's Short Play Festival, which is happening February 22nd through March 24th at the Secret Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting secrettheater.com or tickettailor.com. This is a wonderful new festival that we are so excited we got put onto, and it's filled with incredible shows. The way that the festival happens is absolutely fantastic. So to talk to us more about the festival and, of course, about their works, let's go ahead and welcome on our guests, Doug, Bear, Christine, welcome, and welcome back to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, hi. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. I am so excited to be talking about this because, as I mentioned, we are, you know, in festival season. There's lots going on. And I got put on to this wonderful festival happening in Queens. And I was just like, yes, I need to go do this. It's so clever how it's being done and everything that it does to promote work. So I want to start with each of you and have each of you tell us a little bit about the show that you have in the festival. And Doug, if we can start with you on that. Okay, sure. I actually have two shows in the festival. I was kind of blown away by that. There are two of the short Philly McDougal plays I, I've been writing. And the first one is called Shitty, Shitty, Bang, Bang. And it basically deals with Philly's mother and his older sister. And his mother, Veronica, has a very peculiar, particular want from her daughter. And her daughter has an even more particular want from her mother and it's a game of one-upmanship and it all takes place in a pancake house in december of 1968 on the night that veronica's father has died the second play is called mrs platt and that one does deal with with philly himself and it's two years later or a year and a half later and he's in a bookstore in roosevelt field and his former teacher mrs platt happens upon him he's on the floor with a pile of books, and he's deciding what he wants to buy. She had not come back after the Christmas break, and the principal, Sister Mary Dolores John, had told the students that her husband was very sick, and so she wasn't coming back, and she was being replaced. And Philly is, it's not a good, it's not a good thing for him. The woman who replaces Mrs. Platt is a horror. And so they have a lovely conversation in which she very, very delicately lets him know that she's not coming back, but she helps him pick out books and she gives him advice that don't listen to what your new teacher says. You read whatever the, whatever you want. It's a very, I think it's a very touching story. And the kid who is playing Philly is astonishing. He, he's just, he's, he's going to break people's hearts. Oh, that sounds so wonderful. Oh my gosh. I'm excited for this. I am too. And 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 we got the kid through Richard at Secret Theater. I mean, he the, the kid is in Richard's uh, Secret Theater Academy, which is his name is I know his name. Why am I blanking? Caleb Giles. He's he's just wonderful. And Eric Webb is directing Shitty Shitty Bang Bang and Robert 
Leibowitz is directing Mrs. Platt. But Marie Elaine O'Brien and Emerson West are playing Veronica and Celia in Shitty Shitty Bang Bang. Anne, excuse me, Anne Platt. Rose Azizi is playing Anne Platt and Jessica Vera is playing a small role, the small role of Francine. It's, and it's been wonderful. I mean, Eric and Robert are phenomenal directors and to watch them work with these actresses and actors, the way he brings my words to life, every playwright should have an experience like this. And as for Secret Theater, I'm not sure how old or new it is. I know it's been around because I did it back in 2020, right before COVID. And it was when they were in Long Island City. And it's a wonderful, it was a wonderful experience then. It's a wonderful experience now. I'm pretty wary of festivals, but I have had such a good time with them the last time. And I'm having such a good time with them this time. I, I can't say anything good enough about them. Wow, that all sounds so wonderful. Oh, that's incredible. Thank you. Christine, I would love to jump to your show. Now, not only are you regularly a playwright, but this time you are a performer in the show. Can you tell us a bit about your show? Yes, thank you so much for having me back on. You were so generous to have me for my play, Mi Abuela, Queen of Nightmares, at the tank last year and now i'm delighted to be collaborating with the director lawrence c schwartz again i previously was his assistant director he had directed one of my plays we've collaborated a few times before but he will be directing a piece by robert noise that's all that stands in the way the official description is compliance and complacency turned to ashes, not just George and Evelyn's lives, but everyone else's as well. As the the wife, as the female lead in this piece, I see it as very much about totalitarian dictatorships and governments that go too far and the ways that humans can be so easily manipulated into falling into line it's very sci-fi it's very stylized it's eerie and i'm so excited for it my castmates my husband in the play is joseph calderon who is george and we have two shadows who are doing more movement-based work than anything else and they're ali guba and marina ogaya i i actually have only met rob over the phone so i and, and text like that's been our only correspondence but he is from my native state of virginia we're from the same part of the state too nova as it's called down there <laughs> so we even on our first phone call we were able to relate culturally in that sense and yeah larry and i have done downtown and midtown theater it's the first time i've ever performed in queens i've done a little bit in brooklyn but yeah I'm, I'm excited to do something at secret i've heard wonderful things about it and so far it's been a great experience such a cozy spot and i firmly believe that not everything should be in manhattan <laughs> Well, that sounds amazing. Incredible. And that brings our third voice in, our third playwright, Bear Kosick. Can you tell us a little bit about your show? Yes, I can. <laughs> I was accepted with a play called First Light, which is Captain and his mate are waiting for two passengers to go on a three-hour tour in the morning. And the passengers are late. 
And the passengers are Ginger and Grant. So if you know anything about Gitlin's Island, you might get the reference and the three-hour tour. Anyway, it's an absurdist play. And the captain is arguing with his mate about this, that, and the other thing, but also making references to his word of the day calendar and a few other things. So it's just, it keeps dropping off and coming back to why are they late? And then they finally show up and the husband needs to use the head. And there's a little joke in there about that because the mate takes him to show him the head. And then Ginger and the captain have a go at it in terms of first light and sunrises and all sorts of things like that. And in the end, the husband, Grant, comes back out with mate and he's very satisfied with the journey so far, but they decide they're going to leave because they missed first light. So that's it. <laughs> but I also finagled them into putting in a one-minute play that I have called Changing a Light Bulb, which is going to happen just before. It happens in the dark, and it's a riff on the old really bad joke that when I grew up being partly Polish is about how many Polacks does it take to change a light bulb. And so Olenchak and Kuczynski are there, and they're going to change a light bulb, and they're having an argument about how they're going to do it. So that's it. And this is the third time I've been at the Secret Theater. I've been in the summer festivals the last two years. And I really enjoy the place. And, and I now I've seen that they've spiffed it up and done some changes with it. And it's terrific. So I, I'm really happy to be back. So wonderful. So as you can tell, listeners, we have some great works happening at this fantastic festival. Now, I want to dive a little bit more into you, each of your works. And, Bear, I'm going to keep with you. I'm curious to know, what was the inspiration for your two shows? Oh, well, for the First Light, actually, it was a prompt from a theater that was looking for people to submit plays using one of three artworks. And I chose one that was a harbor that is sort of a deep orange apricot color and it was sprinkled with ocean-going vessels that were at uh, you know, that were docked there. And I just loved the light so much. And I'm, I'm a morning person too. And I often take photos of, of the light coming up in the forest behind a house. So it just you know was natural for me to do that. And then I'm also just a, a nerd about the English language and the extensive vocabulary that's available. So I in integrated that into it. And that's it. Very cool. Doug, how about you? What inspired you with these two works, especially since they have a common character? Well, the Philly plays, they're, they're all semi-autobiographical. Philly is a version of me growing up in the 60s, 70s, 80s. And shitty, shitty, bang, bang. When I was, when I was eight, which was in 1968, my grandmother died. We were living in Florida at the time. My father worked for Pan Am and he had been transferred to Miami International. So we were, we were living there. My mother came up to New York. All I was told was that Nana was sick. And this was in early December. My mom got back around the 15th, 16th. And she just said Nana was fine. And she never told me that she had died. She kept it secret from me until after my birthday, which is in mid-January. She she wanted me to enjoy the holiday. She wanted me to enjoy my birthday. I, I I get where she was coming from, but at the same time, when she finally did tell me, I was I was furious. And 
I still don't know how she kept it from me. I don't know how she got everyone in the family to to keep quiet about it. It is, and I talked to my sister the other day, and she doesn't remember how my mother did it either, except that it was a very very weird time when it happened. So that was sort of the impetus for shitty shitty bang bang. There's a few other things that are thrown into it as well, but that was the main main thing. And then Mrs. Platt, I did have a teacher named Mrs. Platt in, in fifth grade. This play takes place when Philly's in fourth grade. But in fifth grade, we had this wonderful, wonderful teacher, Mrs. Platt. And she left middle in the middle of the year. And her husband was not sick. Her husband didn't die or anything. She, she, her husband was transferred and, and they moved in. And she was replaced with an absolute horror, absolute awful woman. And she's probably dead now, and I don't really give a fuck. Her name was Violet Furlong, and and she was just, and she took an instant dislike to me because she caught me reading Oliver Twist, and she took the book away from me, and she said, "You shouldn't be reading this. You're getting too big for your britches." And she gave me a reading list that was segregated segregated into boys' books and girls' books. Yeah. The thing is, is what that woman didn't know because she hadn't done her research is that in fifth grade, I was reading on an 11th grade reading level, which my mother told her in no uncertain terms. And I was there for it. And it was awesome. So that's sort of the the impetus for, for Mrs. Platt. Other things that I don't want to give away that are in, in that script were also influenced by other things that happened that exact same year with other teachers in the school. So that's the the basis for those two plays. As I said, the Philly plays are are semi autobiographical, and I pull from you know my life, and then I twist it. That is amazing. What so far these two the inspirations for these two well I guess these four works have been incredible. That's wonderful, Christine. I want to come back to you now because you are performing or the lead in your show. What has it been like developing the work as we? start and head into the festival it's a very political piece and i don't want to give away the concept but i will say that we were stumped honestly even our dear director lawrence was feeling conflicted about which direction to take the play in and now of course since we are opening february 25th we have some sense of what we're doing there is a clear direction but it's definitely been a discovery process and i know as was mentioned earlier many theater makers are wary of festivals because they're is such a rush there's hurry up and go you have to set up and then you take down and you're in and you're out so where do you store things how do you coordinate all of that by the way promote this show and here's this strange time and that strange time but in this case I think it was actually wonderful to have a deadline and a, a relatively short period of time to work because it forced us to commit and I'm for the first time in a while working with an all-new cast as I mentioned before I've worked with Larry Lawrence our director before but all of the performers are new to me 
there was a name I recognized, Joseph's, because he had performed for Larry before and with one of my colleagues, Isaac Dean. But yeah, it's really thrilling to to have new blood. (laughs) I have had some wonderful collaborators, especially in the past two years since coming back from the pandemic or however we're defining this <laughs> this stage of the pandemic. And we especially in the second half of 2022 going into 2023 just produced a lot. And that includes work that I did with Larry. And I'm proud of a lot of it, but I think that can also lead to some drain and strain and it's it's good to get to know new people too and to work with different people so it's been a blessing in that sense for sure it's fantastic now sticking with you christine first on this next question i would love to know i know that all of these are short plays but they all have different backgrounds they all have, they're all telling different stories so starting with you is there a message or a thought you hope audiences take away from your piece Yeah, I don't want to speak for Rob, but as somebody who is a lead in this, (laughs) I do hope that it gets them to question their political ideals. And I know that's vague, but I do think too many people still have too much of a team sport kind of mentality and are not asking enough questions and really considering what their values are. So I I hope this just reminds folks to check in and do that, honestly. I love that. Doug, how about you with with the two works you've got? What are you hoping audiences take away from that? Well, nothing as lofty as that. I mean, the works are, I just think they're emotional slices of life. If they recognize something in them if if there's something in the behavior of any of the characters or the story that they that resonates with them that's what i'm hoping they take away from it that it's like oh my god i remember sort of something like that happening to me and identifying with any of the characters there's there's no deep hidden meaning meaning in them i mean maybe a little bit in mrs platt in 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 terms of what the twist at the end is but you know, they're really just slices of life of this this precocious child and, and the household in which he's growing up and his education. Wonderful. And finally, Bear, what message or thought are you hoping come from your works? Oh, well, the number one thing is just to hope that audiences enjoy a postmodern absurdist play or two, because sometimes that's a little difficult to pull off. But yeah, both of them really have to do with meeting the circumstances that you're thrown at you and how do you handle those situations. So it's a little, you know, slice of life kind of thing that, you know, and, and it's done with some humor. So I hope that people, you know, you know, learn a little bit about that and learn that they can take an, an, any kind of little incident and just turn it around and be glad that it's happened instead of insanely mad at it about it. <laughs> I love that. (laughs) Well, my final question for this first part of the interview for all of you is who do you hope have access to your work? And Bear, I'd like to start first with you on that. Oh, I would really like everybody in the world to be have access to it. (laughs) You know, I think it's, well, 
when I started writing, my mother became my number one fan, even though she didn't like my first uh, novel was science fiction novel. And she didn't like science fiction, but she loved the novel. And then I wrote a book about democracy and she hated history and she loved the book. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to reach out to people who, you know, say they don't like something and then turn them around and, and say, oh, yeah, that was actually pretty good. So, uh, you know, that's, you know, pretty much anybody who wants to, you know, just have a good time, but also think through something. Yeah, loving that. Christine, how about you? Who do you have access to your work? For this play and for this festival specifically, I really want, quote, outer borough folks to come. I'm really hoping that we get low income and lower middle income folks who might not necessarily come to see theater outside of school or church plays to come to what I believe was a converted taekwondo center <laughs> by the seven train <laughs> in Woodside. I, I, in general, have been trying to make more of an effort to do community outreach and grassroots work, creative work. Like right now I have an art exhibition at the Queen's Botanical Garden and their visitor base is people who live in Flushing. Our director, Lawrence Schwartz, again, I'll, I'll say his name a million times, recently published his memoir about being an adjunct professor, mainly in community colleges and technical schools and schools that don't necessarily have this elite reputation. But he has really made a career out of creating work, creating theater and and literature that reaches all kinds of people of every income and cultural background. And I, I, again, can't speak for Rob, but knowing what I know about the play, it seems like he's looking for a base that maybe doesn't identify with a cultural elite. So yeah, just the community. That's who I want to come see the play. I love that. Yes, and building on that thought that all theater does not just happen in Manhattan. So love that. Finally, Doug, who do you hope have access to these wonderful works? That's a hard question for me because like Bear, I want everyone to see my work. But but specifically, it was specifically with these two plays, it's twofold. I want an older gay audience who will understand and remember what this kid is going through because they probably went through the same thing in some variation. But I would also, and I'm going to get into trouble with this one, but, you know, I don't care. I would like a younger audience, millennials, Gen X, to come because I, I really think that they, I think I know they do not understand what we, you know, 50, 60 plus gay people went through in the 70s. And maybe it will like, it may bore them to tears, but hopefully a few of them will will realize that this is what life was like 50 something years ago. And and the strides that 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 were made and that are in that were in danger of losing again.
second part of our show. We love letting our listeners have a chance to get to know our guests a little bit more. And of course, Doug, Christine, we've had you on our show before, which has been lovely. But Bear, you are new to the scene. So I want to start with you first on this with our regular first question, which is what or who inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites? Well, I'm a big fan of Chekhov, big fan of Sondheim, huge fan of Edward Albee, who I had the opportunity to meet and have some lunches with in 1984 when I was a grad student at Johns Hopkins. And he would complain about the courses he was taking. And I didn't tell them that I like to write. I just listened to him because I was in the political science department. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was, it was very interesting. But yeah, those two, and then also from novels, because I had written some novels, Gabriel Garcia Marquez and Doris Lessing are two others. And all of them are postmodernists. And I really like that idea of where the narrator isn't necessarily telling the truth, where there are diversions that run away from what is supposed to be going on. And then you finally circle back to what is going on, that not... Plot is de-emphasized and character is is emphasized more because I like to explore personalities and I like to explore what's going on in people's lives. And to me, I find it more naturalistic to to just show what a person is going through in their life. The the first screenplay that I wrote, Father's Day, was sort of based on experiences I had when uh, actually in 1983-84. And it's just a woman who's gradually getting out of a relationship that she's had for seven years, but she doesn't know it. And she also doesn't know that her partner is also gradually getting out of the relationship. And he isn't really recognizing that. And so there's like no high stakes or anything like that. It's just two people that you see in the course of a year where tragedies happen, great things happen. And at, at the end of it, they're in a completely different place than they were. And, you know, and that's the way I feel like with, uh, especially with Chekhov and his plays, that that's sort of what happens. So I, I really enjoy that part. Fantastic. I love that. Great inspiration. <laughs> Doug, I want to know, how did you come into the performing arts? Oh, my God. Well, it's standard. I mean, I started as an actor, moved into directing, started writing. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just like the, the standard the standard route. You know, I did musicals in high school. I, I did musicals and plays in community theater. And when I was performing, I was enjoying it. I was also designing scenery. But I wanted two things. I wanted more control. Even as a director, I didn't feel like I had enough control. And I also wanted to be left alone. <laughs> so, you know, the writing is, for me, is wonderful because most of it, I'm alone. I don't have a lot of control over what's done with my work. But, you know, there's always that version that I have in a drawer that's mine which I, I really, really just love having that. So that that was my my way in. And I mean, I enjoyed performing, but, you know, that's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, though. What a... You know, and I'm... found a more, like, natural order of things, I feel, to get yeah. it, right? <laughs> I also have a very limited range. I mean, I knew early on that that my, my field as a performer was wimps, simps, and imps. And, you know, so there's like a a period like after after 30 where it's like there ain't nothing for me until I'm like my age. So. Oh, I feel that. I feel that. 
<laughs> Christine, how about you? How did you come into the performing arts? I came via literature and visual art. So my parents definitely took me to see a lot of theater as a child and really all kinds of performing arts because I grew up in the D.C. area. So much is free there. The festivals, the concerts, the museums, everyone knows about the museums. But there are many theatrical productions that are free or low cost, too, because a lot is subsidized by the federal government and embassies and all kinds of cultural institutions and philanthropists. But really, I didn't act very much as a kid. I would be the kid who was called on for the morning announcements or reciting poetry. So yes, there was a lot of public speaking early on, but I was definitely more of a writer and a painter from the beginning. And I didn't move to New York until I was 28. And I didn't get involved in theater until gosh, really 2019, to be honest. I mean, I would submit my plays here and there, but I didn't really start working on productions until 2019. And I think it was because I sort of, I won't say that I reached my limit with with books and magazines, but I just wanted to reach new audiences. And I was seeing more and more the some of some of the limitations of writing for the page versus the stage or screen even and I wanted a certain amount of control over my work like I have enjoyed self-producing I have not always but I've had some wonderful experiences with self-producing and I've really taken to directing I think as somebody who has a literary background but also studied film and has done quite a bit of painting I I bring not just the storytelling sensibilities of course but a visual sense to directing that often is appreciated yeah and I I act now <laughs> but I have not been acting very long I've just had a very productive past few years <laughs> that is fantastic though I love that well, I cannot let all of you go without asking our favorite question, which I know, Doug and Christine, you've had it before, but I'd love to hear another one. And of course, that is, what is your favorite theater memory? Well, because today is the anniversary of my first seeing it, the first time I saw the musical on the 20th century on Broadway, it had just opened. I saw it 46 years ago today at a matinee. Madeline Kahn was in it, and it the show... I, I, it is such an overstatement, but the show changed my life. It it really did. At, at the time, my dog had died two days before. I was in a. I was just devastated. I actually was not going to go. I was like, I, I just, I'm not going to go. And my mother was like, I bought you that ticket for your Christmas present. I paid twenty two fifty for that thing. You are going. You know. So, and I went, and it it really it just lifted me out of myself that afternoon. And while I mourned the dog and it was depressing, I wasn't immobile after that. It just really just gave me such a, such joy. I ultimately ended up seeing that production eight times. And eight years later, when I was in another 
depression, very, very depressed, uh, depressed state, I was given the opportunity to, to direct a production of it, which was, that was the first show I ever directed. And it was, ex again, an extraordinary experience. So right now, because today is the day, it's, it's, it's my favorite theater memory. I love that. That's such a wonderful memory. And what a fabulous show as well. I'll chime in. Tuesday night, I was blessed to see Andre DeShields and Mark Shaman doing their Harlem Nocturnes show at 54 Below, which is a great place. I love it. And one of the reasons why I wanted to go is my the best memory I have of theater is working as an usher at 14 years old at the Mechanic Theater in Baltimore and being there the very first night that The Wiz was put on stage. And I met Dee Dee Bidgewater and Andre De Shields and Stephanie Mills and everybody in the cast met all the, the volunteer ushers. And, but it just blew me away. And, you know, I grew up in a family where we didn't pay attention to anything about a person's uh, characteristics other than the, who they were. And so it never dawned on to me on me that uh, I'm watching something historic where it's a production where it's all African Americans involved in it. And I didn't know that. You know, I did, it just didn't it didn't ring any bells to me. But I'm so glad that I was there. It was also like about three hours and fifteen minutes, and they cut it during the run at Baltimore. So <laughs> I also learned a little bit about that too. What an incredible memory. I love that. So far, we've gotten two premiere stories. This is incredible. That's a great memory. Thank you so much. Yes, you are about to get a third premiere story <laughs> because I saw Dead Man's Cell Phone by Sarah Rule open at the Woolly Mammoth Theater in Washington, D.C. It was my senior year of high school. It was the fall. And I... I was just mesmerized. It, the play really made me think about, oh, well, playwriting doesn't have to be so talky. Oh, it can be more poetic if I want it to be. Oh, look, it can be so visual. Oh, look at all the origami they have on stage. Oh, wow. And yeah, it just, I, I love Sarah Rule's writing. She's still one of my favorite playwrights. And seeing that play in action was yeah, just such a great thing for a 17-year-old and really got me excited as a writer and as somebody who has grown into not just writing for stage, but also making theater happen. <laughs> I love that. A fab all three of you, fabulous memories, all of you. Thank you so much for those. Well, as we wrap up, I would love to know, do any of you have any other upcoming projects or productions that we might be able to plug for you? Yes, I do, but I'm not allowed to talk about them. <laughs> Mum's the word. Okay. Well, I have two. I've written two musicals, one equally supreme, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg musical, and the other one, Queer Cowfolk, the Gay Rodeo musical. And they're both at the stage now where they need to have staged readings. And I'm also, speaking of 54 Below, trying to put together a night of music from Queer Cowfolk to present in Pride Month uh, in June at uh, 54 Below, present the music to people. The screenplay version has won a bunch, bunch of awards, and one of the songs has won five Best Song Awards so far. So I'm really happy about that, but now I have to get going with finding producers and stuff. 
incredible. Anything for you, Christine? Yeah, so it's not theater, <laughs> but I will plug again my show at the Queen's Botanical Garden. It is mainly a painting and sculptural show, but it is very storytelling based. It is about the geography of my ancestry and all the different places that I have lived. And I do have my first feature film streaming on Amazon, Tubi, Hoopla, and all the other minor streaming <laughs> websites that I've forgotten. It is called Serena's Gallery or the Spanish name Serena's Gallery. And yeah, you could watch it today if you wanted. It's ready. It's there. <laughs> is fantastic so you all have some stuff that we need to keep our ear out for and so that leads to my final question which is if our listeners would like more information about the queen short play festival or about any of you and your works maybe they'd like to reach out to you how can they do so they could go to my website dougdevitaplays.com although i'd need to update it and as far as the festival goes they can you know go to the secret theater website my website is worldofchristinestoddard.com and on all platforms my handle is stoddard says s-c-o-d-d-a-r-d-s-a-y-s and i do tag larry lawrence our director in everything he is not so much of a social media person but i'm definitely someone you can contact if you want to get in touch with him And I always ask people to go to Google and Google Bear Kozik and find out what I'm up to because I'm I'm doing so many different things. I did that in England a couple of weeks ago with a couple that asked me what I do. And while we were in line waiting to go into the Roman baths and bath, they Googled my name and they said, oh, look at this, auditions for First Light. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, Doug, Bear, Christine, thank you all so, so much for stopping by today and sharing this amazing new festival and all of your amazing new works. I'm so excited about all of it. I look forward to attending these. They all sound fantastic. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Andrew. It, it's, it's yeah, much- thank you. Thank you. Yes. You know, it's, and it's a great festival. Richard is got a great thing going and he he runs a very warm welcoming place and and cassandra is running it like clockwork it's just it's it's just wonderful yes it sounds amazing so i am very excited to share this wonderful thing with our listeners out there and our followers but thank you all so much this has been lovely my guests today have been the playwright Doug DeVita, the playwright Bear Kosick and the playwright and performer Christine Stoddard all who are part of the Queen's Short Play Festival, which is running February 22nd through March 24th at the Secret Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting secrettheater.com or tickettailor.com. We also have some contact information for our guests, which we will be posting in our episode description, as well as on our social media posts. But as we are here in the middle of festival season in New York, There are great shows happening, not just on Broadway or right off Broadway, but there are some great festivals that have shows. And this is just one of them. So make sure you head over to check out the Queen Short Play Festival. See Doug, Bear, and Christine's amazing works. Share them with your friends. It's all happening February 22nd through the 24th at the Secret Theater. 
So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. And a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.